a great house with glorious vessels in a godless environment. Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning to read of verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great faithfulness, for your great love and your mercy and your grace and your compassion and your goodness and your kindness. Thank you, Father, that you have brought so many into this place this morning. We thank the Lord that you know every single one of us, every heart, every thought, every weakness. Father, minister to us in your strength. And in our weakness, Lord, may you be glorified. We ask you, Father, whatever that may be, we ask you to give us the grace and give us the ability, the unction of the Spirit, to be able to change our lives, to come into the pattern of the Word of God, to be conformed to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for his precious shed blood. We thank you, Lord, that even this morning, as we remember his death, we're not worshipping a dead God, but a risen, exalted, glorified Savior. Father, thank you that you still love me in spite of me. So glorify your name in this house. For Jesus' name's sake we ask it. Amen. Just let me give you a brief synopsis of part one. And there's a lot I want to go into for part two. And in part one we looked at how Timothy is a pastor at this time when Paul is writing this epistle. And he's the pastor of the church at Ephesus, that is the Ephesian church which Paul writes the letter to. And at this time, he is the, the pastor there. He's a young man in his 20s, some say maybe early 30s, but more than likely as early to mid-20s. And as he's pastoring there, remember I told you that uh, Ephesus was a great commercial city. You know, when you have commerce and a lot of going to and fro, then you got, get a lot of movement of different people with different thoughts, with different ideas, with different desires, with different moral standards, if they're called moral standards. And so there's a lot of temptation all around in the city of Ephesus. And this young man is now facing trial all around. Of course, uh, Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians, is worshipped there. And because she's worshipped there, you know, Paul, of course, he, we can read in the book of Acts how Paul deals with those, or they try to deal with Paul, who, who worshipped Diana, and the silversmiths are there, and all these sort of things. And these precious metals are used for these temples, and uh, there were temple prostitutes there who said they worshipped God by the giving of their body to men who would come to the temple, and 
All sorts of stuff was going on. There was prosperity in Ephesus. So it was commercial and it was a pleasure resort as well. And the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. And Timothy, uh, he's a, a young man with all this going on. He's got his own worries and his stresses and his troubles like you and I have. And this morning we can see, not only for our own church, but we can see there our own assembly, but we can see for our own lives how this is so apt for today, for the world we live in, for the society that we're from, and what may be coming upon your life for the struggles or the stresses or the trials or the temptations that you might have. And so in this uh, second letter to Timothy, Paul is really telling him some things to build him up, other things well, not to condemn him, but to, to admonish him. To say, Timothy, now this is what you need to do. We looked at that in part one. And unfortunately, I can't go into all of those things because time wouldn't allow me. But as Paul is writing to Timothy, he tells Timothy that he is to take the mantle. To take the baton, as it were, like a relay race and run with it. Because Paul is in a house arrest, or some say he's in a prison cell in Rome, and whichever it is, he's bound. But he's still able to write, he's able to have visitors. And he's saying to Timothy, look Timothy, I'm going to leave this place. I'm going to leave this scene of time. I'm going to be leaving the work behind, for God is finished here with me. In other words, he would face the executioner's block. And I'm handing the mantle to you, and you're going to have to be strong. Now, let me just briefly run through some of the things. I'll not give you scripture, uh, chapter and verse for all of these, for they're in part one, and time wouldn't allow me. But he says something to Timothy. He says, remember the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Notice, the unfeigned faith that is in thee, in him. And then he says, Timothy, stir up the gift of God which is in thee. Notice, it's in Timothy. In other words, Paul says, Timothy, you see, there are those who go and have religious service. And there are those who like to do the ceremony side of it. And there are those who like to do the the community part of it. And there are those who go to false religion or false worship and worship false deities. There are those who like to live without God or any reverence or respect of God. He says, but in you, Timothy, is something special. Now, brother, sister, if you are in Christ this morning, I mean, if you're a brother or sister in the Lord, I mean, if you're born again of the Spirit, if you have had an encounter with Christ on your personal road to Damascus, that is, in your life before Christ, if you have been born again of the Spirit, washed in the blood, then there's something special in you. He's called the Holy Spirit of God. And that which is imparted to you from the Holy Spirit is called faith. It's not a a belief of the mindset. It's not something that's passed down from your parents to yourself. You know, if your parents bring you to church all your life and you go there, that's a good life. It's good to train up a child and where they'll go. But there has to come a time in the individual life when they have an experience with Christ and they're saved, they're born again. 
everyone must be born again. And the idea here is that if you've come to saving faith in Christ, then that faith in you is real. It's not from your parents teaching you the word even. I say that with respect and reverence because that's a good thing to do. And through that, God uses that. But faith in Christ is imparted. It has to be given to you by God. And if it's not given to you by God, it's an unfeigned faith. Now the word here, unfeigned, we'll look at it in a minute. But really the word unfeigned means an unhypocritical faith. In other words, when you're here and we're praising and we're worshiping the Lord and our hearts are stirred and we believe God for miracles and for good things and for great things and for mighty things in our life, uh, when we leave this place and go home, do we still believe God the same way we did when we were in church with God's people? And on the other side of it, do we still act at home? At the workplace, wherever we are, do we still act as though God is alive, God is real, he's living in my heart, no matter where I am, no matter where I go, no matter what I do or what I say, whatever I take into myself, that almighty God is the same in this place as he is wherever you are. That we're conscious of God. Conscious when we're doing right, that we're pleasing him. Conscious when we're doing wrong, that we're unpleasing to him. Are we conscious of it? You see, unfeigned faith is that which has been imparted and imputed. And it is within the believer. It is within the believer. It's a true and it's a real faith. Something that tells you, something that tells me no matter where we are, that God is alive, that God is real, that God is in charge, that God is on the throne, that God is still in control of my situation. That's the real unfeigned faith of God. In other words, you have your fainting fits. We all do. You have your weak times. We all do. You feel God every day. We all do. We all do, every one of us, including this man you're listening to, we all do. But we know if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Knowing that that's who our God is, that his grace is what we live in. In other words, I failed you, Lord. How could you ever still love me? How could you ever have me come to your throne? How could you ever hear my words and listen to me? And God says to you, he says, I love you. I have sent my son to die for you. I have bought you with a great price, his precious blood. And he says today, come on to me. All ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You're weary with burdens. You're weary with trials. You're weary with heartaches. You're weary with failures. You're weary with things that come upon you. And the Lord says unto thee this morning, I have forgiven you. Come unto me. Come unto me. 
Come unto me. Grace. Grace. God's grace. Thank God for his grace this morning. Would you say amen? amen? Without the grace of God, I'd be lost. Without the grace of God, I'd be in my sin. And so would you. Without the grace of God, we'd never carry on. Without the grace of God, we'd never reach the kingdom. Without the grace of God, there's no way we could keep ourselves. Thank God for his grace. The unfeigned faith is faith that is unhypocritical. It comes from a word, anapokritos. And that's where we get our word hypocrite from. It means it's not hypocritical. It's an unhypocritical faith that's real, that's living, that's alive. And that you're conscious all the time of God. When you're conscious of God, you're conscious of yourself. Sounds like a conundrum, doesn't it? But you know, the closer you get to God, the bigger he seems and the smaller you see yourself. And the closer you get to God, no matter how much you've tried and what you've done and the works you've put before him, the closer you get to God, you realize it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saved us. And the closer you get to God, the darker you see the patches in your soul. And the closer you get to God, the lighter you see the brightness with whom there is no darkness at all. And the closer you get to God, you'll see your inabilities, even though you're a believer. And you'll say, oh God, this is who I really am, a worm of Jacob and dust of the earth. But the closer you get to God, you will see the great grace of God. You will see the love of God and the strength of God upon your life and in your life, lifting you up and carrying you along and bearing your burdens. Know what he says? I, even I, will carry thee, O Israel. That's what he said to the, in the book of Isaiah. I will carry you. Amen. Someone has a mobile. Please turn it off here through the sound system. And it's on. He says, I will carry you. If God didn't carry me this morning, I couldn't make it to this house. I want to say that again. If God didn't carry me, this morning I couldn't make it to this house. If God didn't carry me, I couldn't get out of bed in the morning to do my day's duties. If God didn't carry me, in the name of Jesus, I'd be lost abandoned, I'd be dead in spirit, lifeless and carnal, and given up a long time ago. But thank the Lord, he's faithful to the end, and he carries his people. This unfeigned faith is in thee. The gift of God is to be stirred up in thee. There's times when you're going to feel that you can't There's times when things are in your mind. There's times when problems are at home. There's times when things are whirling around your head and everything seems to clog up your spirit. Stir up the gift of God. 
Fan the flame that burned brightly at one time. Stir it up and worship him. Stir it up and say, Lord, I know I can come to you because you love me. I know I can come to you and all the problems at home or that I'm carrying, the sins and the weights that doth so easily beset us or beset me, say, Lord, I'm bringing them to you this morning for I can no longer carry them. I must lay them at your feet and come into the fellowship of God's people and love one another and love the Lord first. That's what we need to do this morning. It's in thee. Stir up the gift. He tells Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and of a sound mind. But listen to what he says. He says, Be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. Notice what he says. Be a partaker of afflictions. You know, when you get saved, Jesus never said it was going to be easy. But he says his grace is sufficient. He said his grace is sufficient. So, Timothy has temptations without. There's troubles within. There's trials all around. And there's testings on every side. Do you ever get your life like that? Everywhere you go, it's hard. The word was, Timothy, this unfeigned faith that you have. I wrote down two words from an old preacher that I was reading when I'd written this. He says, Timothy, you are the real deal. I'm 22, 25, whatever he is, 30 maybe. Uh, and I don't feel the real deal. In other words, I don't feel genuine faith. You see, the, the idea of unfeigned faith is that it is real because God is real. It is real because it's not from you. Uh, if it's from you and it's from me, you and I would give up. Do you know what keeps a man in ministry? Do you know what keeps a woman in ministry? Knowing that they've nothing else to turn to because that's all they have from God, so they must keep up the task. Outside of it, they die. I remember one time, a few years back, and I went through a bit of a hard time and so did Allison. And you know what I did? I stopped preaching for 10 solid months. I had bookings over in England and Scotland and was to go to Sweden and different places and I just cut them all out, phoned everybody and says, I'm not coming. I didn't want to preach anymore. I know that sounds hard because of this long-winded preacher you're listening to. I know that sounds impossible. See, God can work on the impossible. <laughs> I didn't preach for 10 months and I was miserable. I was miserable. Enjoyed the first couple of weeks just listening all the time or a few weeks. But 10 months later, I was miserable. You see, because outside of Christ and his word, I, I have nothing. I, I, I'm useless, pretty hopeless. 
outside of that. But when God sets a man and a woman into a place to become a great vessel, now you may not think you're a great vessel. You may think because, well, I just uh, have a wee meeting somewhere or I just have a prayer meeting or I'm just faithful to the house of God. You may think you're nothing, but you are a great vessel. If you have the unfeigned faith, the reality of the Holy Ghost, and you're washed in the blood of Jesus, and you're placed in his great house, what is his great house? The great house is the household of faith, as Paul calls it. You're sitting in it. This great house that God is building up, this great household of faith, Christ has planted you in this place. Christ has brought you to minister. And outside of whether your ministry is faithfulness to the house of God or a prayer ministry or leading the worship or or, or teaching the children Sunday school and uh, taking the youth or, or, or ladies' fellowship or whatever you do, the cleaning team, you're a great vessel in a great house in a godless environment. I'm nothing. You're not nothing. You're bought with the blood of Jesus. If you were nothing, you wouldn't be here this morning. If you were nothing, you wouldn't be redeemed this morning. If you were nothing, you'd have no ministry in the house of God this morning. If you were nothing, you would be used for nothing this morning. But even sitting here, I told you this morning, by sitting at the Lord's table, you're preaching to the world, Christ died for me. I get up out of my bed and I get into my car and I drive to the church and I praise the Lord and I worship him and give thanks that he shed his blood for me and went to the grave for me and rose from the dead for me and ascended into heaven for me. He's praying in the glory for me and he is coming back for me. That's what we're doing this morning. You're a glorious vessel unto God. No matter how small you feel, no matter how weak you are, no matter how despised and contemptible you think or others think of yourself, you're a glorious vessel in the house of God. Just getting a breath. <laughs> you see, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, listen, take the mantle, take the baton, hang it on. Be a soldier, be hard, you'll get trials outside, inside, all around you testings and troubles, but keep going on with God because that which has been birthed in you. Notice, brother, notice, sister. That which has been birthed in you, not worked up in you, not brainwashed to you, birthed in you. You see the faith you have? It's birthed in you. It's been a creative miracle of the Holy Ghost to birth you into Christ, into the kingdom of God, and you are birthed into him. And you're a glorious vessel in a great house, the household of faith, 
in a godless environment. Now, I want you to think about this. This is so simple. This is so easy. This is just something you can, well, take it like this. You might say it even off the top of your head, the tip of your tongue, and think nothing about it. Outside this house this morning, and others like it, let's speak of our own assembly. Outside of here this morning, in our village and surrounding areas and in our nation, there are men and women who maybe have jobs of great prestige and very wealthy, or maybe they have no job at all. It doesn't matter. But outside of this place, there are men and women and women who do not know the Savior. And those men or women are lost. They may be having a good time, what it looks like. It may look like that they're enjoying themselves and they get off with things and, oh, well, they live their life a certain way. Let me tell you, those men and women, they are lost and one day they will stand before the God of all judgment and one day they will go into a burning lake of fire if they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and you might feel such a simple soul this morning, but let me tell you something, simple soul. Let me get this into you this morning. You are saved. You are forgiven. You are righteous. You are redeemed. You are a child of God. You are of much value for Christ. Shed his blood for you. You're a great vessel in a great house. Oh, but they don't like me. That's okay. Let them not like you. They say bad things about the gospel. They're spitting at God, not at you. They're rejecting Christ, not you. Just love them and keep ministering the word and your lifestyle unto them and leave the rest to God. Listen, there's one day whenever I was in my sin. You want to hear what I told a guy I worked with? Well, see the things and the jokes I made about our Lord. Lord, I'm sorry, and I'm glad you forgive me. You see, there were false prophets called Hymenaeus and Philetus who had come into the church denying the resurrection, the bodily resurrection. So what Paul was doing is saying, listen, Timothy, you're getting people in, and there's whispers going on here, and Hymenaeus, Hymenaeus and Philetus saying there's no resurrection. He says, now listen, you think this is going to fall fall apart. He says, now listen to me, Timothy. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. This is what he's saying. Timothy, this is God's work. It's not your work. And God will sort it out. Let's take a reading. Verse 19. Nevertheless, that's what he's saying. Uh, I, I haven't time to read it, but if you read the chapter when you go home, you read of these men. And he says, Nevertheless, notice he says, verse 19, 2 Timothy 2. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Now, see, if you were to read just that and leave it, that should stir our hearts enough to want to get up and do the Pentecostal two-step up and down that aisle. 
That should be enough. To turn around and hear the word of God read, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. I'm near ready to jump over the pulpit now. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. In other words, there are those who have an un, have not an unfeigned faith, but an hypocritical one. He's referring here to Hymenius and Philetus. He says, you'll know them by their works, their ways, and their word. He says, leave it to God. The foundation stands. They're sealed here. He says, the Lord knows. That's what he's saying. Let me just break it down. Time's almost gone. Let me just break this down a little for you. The idea here, the foundation of God stand assure. The, the word stand assure here is a word hestime. And it means to make firm, to fix in place, to be kept intact. It gives the idea that the foundation is so strong it's immovable. Remember in Matthew 16 when Peter, James, and John are with our Lord up the mount and all the disciples gather around and Jesus says, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they give him the whole tirade, you know, uh, Jeremiah, uh, John the Baptist, one of the prophets, and so on. And Peter turns and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus turns around and says to him, Flesh and blood is not revealed unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He says, and on this I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And what he was saying here is, on the revelation of imputed faith, of the open blinded eye that could not see and now sees the deity of Christ and his glory. He says, Peter, on this premise of who I am, given to you by my Father in heaven, in other words, birth in you, Peter, is the word of God. He says, now on this premise, that's unfeigned faith imparted to you, and you will not, nor can others deny me once they've received this great revelation. And so when you go through the history of the church, and you see Nero burning, uh, covering the, the, the early Christians with tar and tying them to a stake, setting them on fire all around the city walls to use them as torches to light up their streets. When you see mothers and fathers tied and bound, brought into an arena full of Romans cheering and shouting and a wild animal has been, or an animal has been killed and, and sliced open, its innards taken out, and their babies put in, their children, and sewed up again. And lions being released to eat the carcass, and the live children squealing inside, it causes the lions to go into a frenzy. And they eat their children without them denying Christ. I asked you, brother, could you and I do that?
It's not unfeigned faith, brothers and sisters. Unfeigned faith is knowing there's a God in heaven, having a consciousness of him, knowing he loves you, loving him because he first loved you. Unfeigned faith is unhypocritical. And that's what Christ talked about, about the foundation of God standing sure. Those who have had this imputed faith, he says, they will go on, even in the face of death, in the face of torture, and the gates of hell, or the grave it means. Even the grave will not prevail against my church, he says, against my called out ecclesia. Now, that's real faith, isn't it? And if we, well, God doesn't answer our prayer, or even if God doesn't answer our prayer the way we want them to, we fall out with God and we throw our hands in the air and we walk away and we don't come to pray and we want to hit the bars and the clubs. Excuses, 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 brothers and sisters. I'm not being hard. I'm just telling you the truth. Let me say it again. Excuses, excuses, excuses. It's time as you and I who are the ones to have an unfeigned birth of God, faith in our lives, we stop making excuses, excuses, excuses. And we started to say, Lord, this church was bought with your blood and the seedbed of the church was on the martyrs of the church. And it's time we started to live like born-again, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, blood-washed Christians. Now you see why Paul is writing to Timothy. Saying, Timothy, come on, grow up. Timothy, mature in the faith now. Stir up that gift. Be like a soldier. Come on, take it on the chin and let's get on and worship him. That's what he's saying. Stop sulking, Timothy. Stop allowing the temptations to to draw your mind. He says, and worship God. I'll close with this. This great house. Not what I'm going to do. Part three next week. I'll leave it there. I'll do part three next week. Let me say this. And a way of rounding up the close. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. See the term name the name of Christ? Do you know what it means? Every one of you who believe there's power in the name of Jesus, every one of you who invoke the name of Jesus, Every one of you who call on the name of Jesus over sickness, over ungodliness, every one of you who invoke the name of Jesus in prayer to enter into the presence of the Father, every one of you who call on the name of the Lord out of a pure and a true heart, he says, depart from iniquity. Because that's the unfeigned faith We believe that Jesus saves. 
And we believe that Jesus heals. And we believe that Jesus baptizes in the Holy Ghost. And we believe that Jesus is the soon coming King. So let's depart from iniquity and let us worship the Lord with all of our hearts. That's the idea. He's saying, Timothy, forget about Ephesus. Forget about Diana's temple. Forget about the silver. Forget about the gold. In this great house, Timothy, the household of faith, there are great vessels of silver and gold, and you are they. He says, now leave it to God. His foundation will stand. He has sealed his people. He says, now you leave it to him. Sunday morning and you're getting excited like that. That's ridiculous. God bless you. Unfeigned faith. Great vessels. No, great houses with glorious vessels and a godless environment. You know what I'll do? I'll break that verse down next week. The word seal is very important. We'll have a shorter message next week because we need to let you get away because we'll be starting a little later also.